0: Ezekiel one of the major prophets and it'll be chapter 33 and as you're turning there you might think with some trepidation that the book of Ezekiel is complex and obscure and certainly there are passages that do require careful study and comparison of scripture and a good knowledge of of the principles of interpretation however this morning we're going to be looking at a very straightforward passage and there are a number of these in the prophets and in ezekiel because as well as giving long term prophecies there were immediate there was immediate ministry to the people as well one of the functions of the prophets was of course to warn the people of the day to be an example and teaching for succeeding generations to prove and show that uh, these men were inspired of God as their prophecies were fulfilled. But they were also evangelists. They were gospel preachers. They reasoned with the people. And that was one of their functions. And so what we're going to do today is look at a sermon, if you will, of Ezekiel, which is very straightforward. So we needn't be Concerned, this is not going to be technical. It is very straightforward. So, I'm going to read some verses, and they'll be familiar to you, I believe, from chapter thirty-three. And uh, I'm just going to read a few verses, beginning at verse ten. And then we'll look at the passage in more detail. So, Ezekiel chapter thirty-three, verse ten. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, saying, If our transgression Transgressions and sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way, and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Those will be the main verses, but we'll look at some other verses which are interesting around that message and uh, before we even look at it in detail one point I would like to make is that sin has consequences sin is very real now that's not at all a popular message in our day it's actually uh, sneered at laughed at seen as a very old-fashioned and outdated uh, idea men and women are morally neutral There's a spread of what I suppose we could call amorality, and as long as you don't injure one another or steal from one another, pretty much anything goes, and no one has any right to pass judgment or comment on anybody else. So the notion of sin is very unpopular and denied. However, we all sin, and uh, there are consequences. And it's no wonder that we live in a society where there are all sorts of repercussions, where there is a growth in anxiety and stress and mental illness, lack of purpose, because these are the fruits of the policy of sin. These are the consequences of living as if there was no God. So when we imagine that we're free from the constraints of outdated religious ideas, we're actually shackled and in chains to the modern view of life, which is tyranny. But here we have a practical example of the consequences of sin. Because, after all, we're looking at history here. Uh, These are not just um, writings. These are recorded records of what took place. And this setting, as I'm sure most of you will know, is in Babylon. So the captives have been taken from Jerusalem and around about by Nebuchadnezzar, and they have been transported those hundreds of miles away to Babylon. And the reason for that is very straightforward. It's because they sinned. It's because as a nation they disregarded the precepts, the promises, the law of God, and they did their own thing. At best, there was a a form of religion They would attend the temple, they would go through the motions of worship, but for the most part, of course, there was always the remnant, we don't forget that. There were always those sincere people, there always have been, but by and large, people were really living a double life in the temple one day and then worshiping idols up in the high places the next. They were completely contaminated by the surrounding nations, and they had been warned again and again and again. I mean, you just need to read through the prophets. prophets. And that's what you'll see, this repeated theme of warning that the people have departed. And those warnings might seem severe, but they were always meant in mercy. They were always meant to deliver the people from the pain that they would suffer. And nothing has changed throughout the ages. The gospel warnings, the, the warnings of God, though they might seem... Uh, severe to us are only meant to deliver us from harm but however finally as they wouldn't listen then uh, Jerusalem was besieged and they were carried away captive because of their sins and that's the example that I'll give as a direct result of their sins their lives were changed and sin will change our lives make no mistake nothing has changed Throughout the history of the world, God still uh, will punish sin. He'll punish it ultimately in the afterlife, but throughout this life too. You will never have that satisfaction, that peace. You'll never be able to hold the truth in your hearts. It will always elude you. There will always be that burden of guilt somewhere, no matter how much we try to bury it. A lot of psychologists and people who go for counseling with it they're dealing with guilt but uh, no one has the the divine help to confront them with that except the Bible except the scriptures so I perhaps uh, elaborated that point rather too much but it's a, a practical thing they were there in Jerusalem sorry in Babylon because of their sins and Ezekiel was the prophet he was the earlier prophet came before Daniel And uh, his ministry was somewhere around 592 to 570 B.C. And so there they were, and this was the setting. And then we come and look at this message that he gave to them. So we want to look at what kind of things a message from God is, how we know that it's true. It's tempting to discuss comparative religions and why they can't all be correct But let's just concentrate on what we know is true. And one of the features of a true religion from God is that it's a warning. A lot of other religions are, to some extent, warnings, but they're kind of helps or aids to assure you that you will be all right in the afterlife. But actually, true religion says almost the opposite. You will not be all right. There will be woe. And as the Lord Jesus himself said, weeping and gnashing of teeth, as we... Read in Luke's Gospel there. Real consequences coming from the lips of the Savior. So, verse 9 of chapter 33, this is the instruction. What we have here really are Ezekiel's sermon notes. But they've been given him by the Lord. And we hope that preachers today seek the Lord's guidance as they prepare Scripture messages. So, verse 9, Nevertheless, if thou warn, there it is, the wicked... Of his way to turn from it if you do not turn from his way he shall die in his iniquity this is true religion not popular not palatable is it it's not lightweight but this addresses and goes to the heart of our condition It faces man's deepest need so true religion is a warning message wake up if you continue in this pathway there will be eternal loss. Thankfully, God is very patient with us. And he doesn't deal with us at the first instant or the second or the hundredth because we sin every day. So he was patient with Israel. He's patient with us. But as in this case where finally he had to deal with them and remove them out of their own land, then finally he will have to deal with us. If we, know, if we don't listen to the warnings, if we discount them, and this is what he says also. He shall die in his iniquity. Oh, that's, that's terrible to say such, such a thing, isn't it? But it isn't. It's the truth. And it was the same issue that arose right there at the beginning of time, the beginning of history, in the Garden of Eden, where the Lord had said the same thing to our first parents, that if they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they would die. And the devil said in Genesis 3, verse 4, ye shall not surely die. And that's the world we live in. You won't die. Don't be alarmed by these Christian messages. These people, they've got something wrong with them. But this is the word of God. This isn't our message. We didn't invent it. And this is the warning for us. We will surely die. And that's the warning. Uh, to us. So, they were captives. They were doubly captive, these people. They were literally captive. Think how awful that is. I mean, we know the account. We know how they were taken and transported, but we're looking at Chaldeans, Babylonians. And history will show us their barbarity and their cruelty and their disregard for people of other nations. Now it's true that they did handpick certain more capable people, such as Daniel and his companions. It's true that they did recognize in other nations abilities which they could then use in their own administration. And so I suppose those people had a measure of security, but by and large they were looked down upon and treated very badly. And uh, they were pressurized to worship. Uh, pagan gods so this all because they had dissipated their God their God who would have fed them and led them and cared for them and provided for them and helped them and answered their prayers and given them national security and prosperity he would have done all of those things but they would not rather as we read that the Lord Jesus said he would have gathered the people as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings but they would not so this is about your will that obdurate will, and it needs a miracle of God to change that will, to soften our will. We're fools, because we, uh, we refuse the good things of God. So they were in a double captivity, literally, and then spiritually. Captive to the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Most of them would never go back home. Some would, later, after the 70 years, but most of them would stay. And then they were captive to their sins. And we're in bondage to sins. We, uh, we do their bidding. But let's look at his sermon notes then. Verse 10. Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? These are wonderful words. And uh, Ezekiel is being inspired to put the case of the people to themselves. He's speaking, uh, as it were, for them. uh, These are their words. He's putting words into their mouths, if you like. If our transgressions and our sins be upon us. Well, we could spend so much time on each one of these phrases. But there's an acknowledgement there. If or as our transgressions. There's An acceptance that they're in this state and condition because of their sins. So as our transgressions and our sins, twofold, transgressions are the breaking of the law, and the sins are the inner moral corruption, be upon us. So you need to acknowledge that. If ever we're going to have spiritual life, and I trust most of us have that, but there may be some who haven't, Then we need to acknowledge that our sins are upon us. They weigh down on us. They're a burden to us. They have afflicted us. They've caused us all sorts of issues in our lives. And perhaps until now we hadn't realized why things never worked out. Why happiness and contentment were so elusive. Why we can't get on with each other in this world with all our sophistication and advances and technologies and learning, obviously the most that any generation has ever had at our fingertips. And yet we still can't get on with each other. There's still conflicts, and battles, and disagreements, and immorality. It's because of our transgressions. So we need to first of all acknowledge that. If there's no acknowledgement, then you're, you're you're no longer participating the message won't touch you. But it's very rich because I understand more than it just being upon them. Second part of verse 10, and we pine away in them. That's a very rich term. Pining away. says it all. That's what sin does to us because it's not instantaneous. It's a gradual process. We pine away over time. We diminish as people. I'm not speaking only about the time that passes and the passage and our bodies weaken that's inevitable but our souls the real us withers perishes is a term used in john 3:16 we shrink from what we could have been how many regrets will there be in our lives because we discounted the truths of god we counted them as nothing We pursued the promises of this world and imagined that they would fill us. And we busied ourselves acquiring all those things, pursuing all those experiences, or not even thinking. That's probably very common, isn't it? I think uh, because we hopefully are a thinking people, we assume many people are the same. But I think most people don't even give this a moment's thought, really, until it's too late. And they pine away. But this is good if this is what the people are really saying. And you will receive a blessing if if this is what you're saying. Because they then ask this question, how should we then live? What a point to have reached. What a question to ask. After all the years where they went through pretending to have a relationship with God, imagining that God was still with them, Israel thinking that all would be well that they could play fast and loose with God with the scriptures that they could do, have a secret sinful life that no one would notice and it's all come and caught up with them now and they've realized it but this is a vital point to reach this is the question that souls need to ask if they'll ever come to Christ how should we then live what a wonderful question And you need to ask it if you will come to Christ. It's rather like at the end of the Apostle Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 37, where the people, after they heard it, they were pricked, and they said, what shall we do? It's very similar, isn't it? That's the response that we need. Don't just think, oh, that was fairly interesting, I suppose. Well, there's there's some matter there I'll think about, and I'll perhaps come back to it one day. It's a very dangerous position. We need to ask, what shall we do? How should we then live? That's the question that we need to ask. And how sad if we miss that kind invitation. So here is the answer. These are very straightforward verses, as I said, in Ezekiel here, in this portion. Very easy to understand. So the Lord directs Ezekiel in verse 11, Say unto them, to answer their question as I live saith the Lord as I live let's not rush in to the subject matter of what's being said what a promise as I live this is no guru this is no religious leader this is no philosophical movement scientific discovery this is no theory this is as God himself lives As the creator of the universe, as the author of the scriptures, as the son of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as I live, no one else, this is my promise. There's no intermediary apart from Christ, but then He is the one that we come through to God. This is my promise to you. That's what God is saying. What a kind promise. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. What a misconception. That God somehow is capricious, indifferent, cruel. He's charged with that very often, isn't he? When things go wrong, how can there be a God? How could this possibly happen to me? This is so unfair, so painful. If there is a God, he must be a monster. But that's just sin. Obscuring our view darkening our minds, the self-pity spreading throughout us, because the truth is here. It's from the words of God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That doesn't bring me any delight, but rather that the wicked should turn from his way and live. That's the gospel, in simple and a few words, spread throughout the scriptures, expressed in different ways, in different sermons, parables, miracles, appeals, warnings. But it's this, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. So, the words are so rich, we're wicked. We need to acknowledge that. And if we continue in that course, then we won't live. That's what God is saying to us. Turn from your evil ways, it says here, as well. Not just your ways, You might think, my ways are not particularly evil, and and they might not be terrible in our reckoning. Most of us might think, well, these are just minor misdemeanors. You know, we're not like Hitler. We're not mass murderers. We haven't robbed a bank, I assume. So uh, we might think, well, I'm not that bad. But in God's eyes, he knows our hearts. He knows our hostility to him. He knows, given the choice, which essentially we are being given, we reject Him. We might say it ever so politely, no, thank you, God. My life's all right, thank you very much. So we seem to be reasonable people. But essentially that's wicked. We're refusing the grace and kindness of the One who made us, actually, the One who gave us all things, the One who would bestow on us every blessing, the One whom we've offended because He is holy. Turn from your evil ways, for why will ye die? I think that's the heart of the message, ultimately. And it's the question, well, why, why would you throw your life away? But we do. Why would you do that? Isn't it the ultimate folly and foolishness? But it happens every day. It happens throughout history. The Jews have altered it. We are doing it until we come to Christ. Why? What for? for eternal loss, for an unhappy life. It doesn't make sense, does it? But when it comes to spiritual matters, we're not very sensible. So that's the appeal. That's the kindness. Turn from your evil ways. What insanity. But then just a few uh, more details are given to address issues that people might have. Perhaps as they hear a message of this sort one of the responses might be, well, this isn't for me. And there might be many there of Israel and think, well, it was very unfortunate that we were taken into captivity, but it wasn't my fault. I was an upright person. I attended the temple. I I did my duty. I think it's most unfair that I'm here and have to listen to this message. And there'll be some like that. So there's a word for them here, and it's very straightforward, actually. Verse 12, Therefore, son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Very straightforward. A lot of people, and you've met them, and I have, and you challenge them about the gospel, and they're quite offended. Oh, no, I believe in God. Don't go to church. Don't read the Bible. My life doesn't reflect anything Christian. But if you ask me directly, yeah, I say my prayers. I know a number of people like that, even in my own family. I pray for people, but they never open the Bible. They've never repented of their sins. So they think they're okay. And they think they're all right. So here's a word for them. The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of the transgression. So that's them. And then the second category might be those who are convicted by their sins. And they think, but there's no hope for me. I'm a sinner. I am a wicked person. What can be done? So there's a word for them. And uh, it says, As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. So in other words, though we've sinned, and this is the person that we should follow, though we are under condemnation, when we turn, we shall not be lost. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness, And it comes back to the the righteous, in the day that he sinneth. So the moment, the person who imagines he's right with God, any sin condemns him. His imagined record of righteousness, well, it's, it's a myth anyway, it's a dream, it's not real, it's not reality. But any sin will condemn him. It's rather like someone who has an inflatable craft and they set out on the water's... Imagining that they have a good uh, vehicle will carry them. But it has a puncture. It has a hole below the water level. And it begins to sink. That one sin will sink you. But actually the analogy is not enough. The vessel we set out on is a sieve it's full of holes. It won't float for a minute. So uh, this goes on a little bit more in verse 13. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trusts to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. You see, that point is reiterated. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. So perhaps there are a lot of words there to say, don't trust yourself, don't depend upon yourself. One sin, one failing, and there are countless sins. We've offended against God. And then he turns to the other category and another word of encouragement, really, for them. I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die. That's true. Your sins will be punished. You will be lost eternally. But if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge and give again that which he have robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. What is the Prophet saying here? Is he saying that the wicked shall live if he completely now obeys all the law? No, he isn't saying that, because that's not possible. Even as born-again people, even as converted people, we still sin. And if there wasn't a Saviour who had paid the price of all of our sins, then we would be condemned. And there's the whole history of sin up until that point anyway that must be addressed, that a holy God must deal with. So what you're reading there in those two verses are the marks of grace. What the prophet is saying, well, if this person starts to behave in a lawful way, sincere way, restores the pledge, the promises to God, to his fellow citizens, gives back that which he has robbed, walks in the statutes of life, they're marks of grace. That's all that's being said there. If you demonstrate that you really have turned from your sins, that you've trusted in God, then you will live. And look at this beautiful promise, verse 16. None, none of his sins that he hath committed shall be remembered unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. All our sins shall be forgotten. How is all of this possible? If it sounds at all confusing, then it's reconciled in Christ. Everything is addressed in his atoning sacrifice. He is the remedy. This is the authority of such a message as this. If Christ had never come, there's no gospel. There's only a condemning message. There's only eternal loss. There wouldn't be the pages and pages of reasonings and appeals. This looked forward to the coming Christ. Those people knew of the sacrifices. They'd had them... As part of their culture, their national life, the temple, practices, all pointed to Christ. But they knew that they didn't achieve anything. The blood of bulls and goats cannot absolve sin. So it was only because they were becoming one day a Savior who paid the price of sins, who did live a perfect life, who never transgressed. And offered up his own perfections on our behalf. And was punished in our stead. And that's what's been offered. As he said, again, we've mentioned it already. But that appeal that he read, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered thy children together. The Savior says that under, as a chicken, her brood under her wings. And ye would not. I'll oh, be so careful, dear friends, that we, your will is not hardened, that you're not obdurate, that you're not proud, too proud to accept a message like this, too blind to see that sin has blighted your life, that your ears are too deaf to hear this most kind and direct appeal. Well, I think I can do nothing better to finish off than by reading verse 11 again. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Amen. We'll sing our final hymn together now. Number 559. Hymn number... 559. Sinners Jesus will receive. Tell this word of grace to all. bless thine own word, thine own appeals, even as thou didst appeal to Israel of old. that there might there be many today who hear such a kind invitation and turn, turn from their ways and trust in Christ. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each one now and forevermore.